Welcome to the latest episode of Running the Race podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To find out more about FBCG or for more episodes, head on over to our website, www.fbcg.net slash RTR. Our speakers today are Dr. Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Gonzales, and our Associate Pastor, Jared Lamberth. In this episode, Pastor Jim and I talk about marriage. First, we discuss the overarching theme of the scripture concerning marriage, namely that it's to be held in honor. Then we move to Genesis, where we take a look at the very first wedding, the marriage of Adam and Eve. Finally, we examine seven principles to guard and preserve the institution of marriage. This is Jared Lamberth. I'm here today with Pastor Jim Law, and we are going to be talking about uh, marriage today, uh, a wonderful uh, subject for us to think about, particularly in uh, our culture and uh, in the context of the local church. Uh, you don't have to read long into the Bible before you run right into to marriage as a topic, and so why don't we just kind of think about that as we begin with Genesis. Brother Jim, you want to lead us through that? Yes, you know, you come to Genesis 2, and it was uh, God assessing His creation. It's very good, 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 very good. And um, and so what was not good was uh, that man was alone, Adam was alone, mm. and so we read of the first wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden, and God creates Eve and brings them together, and we read the first song in the in the Bible, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as Adam is just uh, overcome with joy at the creation of Eve. And uh, we find in that passage in Genesis a uh, foundational truths that are really timeless for the whole institution of marriage. But even taking a step back, looking at the overarching message of Scripture, is that marriage is to be honored. And Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all people, all men. Uh, And then then it goes on to say, fornicators and adulterers God will will judge. And so I think that uh, one of the the priorities of the church is to celebrate marriage, uh, as the Bible calls us to um, to honor it. Sure. And so, um, uh, just uh, it's di- marriage is dishonored when when it's ignored, mm-hmm. when we step outside the boundaries that God has established. And so I believe the the church's view on marriage is one of the most important components of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's certainly true that in our culture marriage is is dishonored or ignored i mean if we just think of a sampling of what we're exposed to on a day-to-day basis whether it's a news cycle mm. uh, or how marriage is represented in everything from from fiction uh, fictional works from I uh, started just to say movies and television but even books as we've come through uh, 50 shades of gray and, and things mm-hmm. like this where e- even in reading uh, and all over the place we see uh, marriage uh, thought of lowly mm. just a uh, uh, to be trampled on in some way or another. Right. The whole idea of um, keeping your word and dying to self and honoring your commitments. I think of Ecclesiastes 5 where it says it's better not to make a vow than to Mm -hmm. vow and not pay, for God has no delight in fools. And certainly when we come to the institution of marriage, so much is at stake based upon um, its well-being, the, the family, the nation. Uh, it's what holds us together. Uh, and I think this really is an, an important part, Jared, in, in our, our role as pastors, that the church is preparing young men and women for marriage. Uh, some years ago, I wrote um, an article 
for our Baptist paper here in Louisiana that I called Dr. Seuss and the pastor's wedding policy. <laughs> you know, and uh, that that familiar story that many of us, uh, you know, that we all know, it, I just took the, uh, the words uh, for trying the green eggs and ham to uh, a pastor marrying people. I will marry you in a box. I will marry you with a with fox. A box, yeah. I'll marry you in the rain. I'll marry you on a train. Oh, boy. And so uh, very little thought is given to the spiritual preparation for marriage. And so um, just, uh, you know, when we think about when, when does that begin? Well, it really begins long, long before... Uh, the ordering of cakes and dresses and Absolutely. tuxedos and honeymoon plans. Yeah, uh, it should begin among the children and youth of our church family, through you know addressing these things from the pulpit, but also uh, in in small group um, sessions. So yeah. uh, and along with parents to equip parents to train their children. Sure, being a youth pastor for I guess right at thirteen years, that was one of the things mm-hmm. that was a focus of our of our ministry and and thinking through how do we how do we help young people who are interested in relationships, mm-hmm. which is only natural. Um, what are the things that you can be doing now? If marriage is, it's not the time for marriage for you, and um, we all remember the uh, that can be a, a long wait. Yeah. It can be a, a frustrating time in a lot of ways. Um, but to hold up marriage and to and to hold up that uh, we don't want to enter into relationships uh, prior to a time where God has brought them. Um, and of course, that wasn't the pattern that I followed in, right. <laughs> in my life personally, and and wish now that I had. Um, but to hold up for our young people that there are things that you can be doing now to prepare mm-hmm. for your marriage, uh, and thinking through the commitments of um, of of purity, certainly, um, but uh, of of patience, of waiting on mm-hmm. what the Lord will bring, uh, and then preparing. Um, save your money. Uh, talk, talking to our young men, you mentioned recently in a sermon of plow your field, hmm. uh, be, become ready, be saving your money, be completing your education, be thinking about how you're going to provide for a family and what your what your calling uh, to to the church and ministry might be. Uh, all of those types of things that that can prepare and and help our young people to be thinking like they're engaging with marriage already. Yes. Until the time that uh, God God would bring it, and I think that's such a uh, a wonderful positive way to move forward, rather than just a, a longing <laughs> and sulking and and gee, I wish it were me now. Right. Yeah. Um, right. We're to we're to live um, with joy in in the season we're in, and certainly as Paul Tripp um, entitled one of his books, "Age of Opportunity." Mm-hmm. Just picture with me, Jared, someone who uh, uh, um, who's ten, eleven, twelve. 13, um, one of the ways that we can uh, challenge um, um, those under our care and ministry is to say, look, in the next 10 to 15 years, um, you're you know, casting a vision for those years yeah. uh, that you will likely uh, be, be married in that time frame. Uh, how do I get prepared for that? Mm-hmm. How do I think about that? And so um, I think um, uh, bringing that up in the course of church life is, is really important. And what do I look for um, in, a future, in a future mate? You know, I, I, I'm not expecting that maybe to 
be really exciting for a 10 year old. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, as that go, as, as they grow up, they're thinking about these things. Look in the next 10 or 15 years, um, I'm likely to be married. What does that look like? Right. And to contrast that with the culture that, you know, I remember, uh, thinking about those things, you know, and, and, and people my age were more concerned with, you know, blue eyes or Brown mm-hmm. and to say, listen, that's nonsense. You know, the, you will be in, just enthralled with whatever color eyes the mate that God brings to mm-hmm. you has. <laughs> and, um, and to teach the principles that are lasting, not only in the, the season of, of preparation uh, early, that our children and our youth will be, will be thinking about these things, but what if the Lord should not bring a mate for you until a bit later? Mm-hmm. Well, purity and preparedness and and, prepa- and preparation all become key right. in how a young man or young woman is going to conduct themselves. And then once the marriage has taken place, uh, if the Lord is pleased to bring it, your purity and your patience mm. uh, and all of the things that you were doing in preparation are still a key to the Christian walk. That hasn't the commitment in marriage hasn't changed those things. Yes, uh, they may be nuanced differently. But these are still characteristics of the Christian life that we need to press forward in for every day that God gives us. And so I think as the body of Christ, as we're looking at discipling and preparing for marriage rather than stumbling into marriage, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things that we've set in place too is, a, is an extensive time of premarital counseling, developing a relationship with the couples. And early on, some of my biggest fights as a pastor were over wedding details you know, from the music uh, to, uh, you know, who, who, who am I going to participate in, in, you know, in officiating the wedding? And it became right. clear to me that there's a lot of it. I've often said there's a hundred people within a 20 mile radius of my desk who could do the paperwork for your wedding. Mm-hmm. But as far as the church goes, we're looking to couples who are, who are interested and committed to establishing a Christian home, not, not merely to get married. Right. And so what does that look like? Well, um, you know, spending six to eight hours together premaritally talking over important issues from finances to communication to, um, you know, challenges uh, that come in marriage. How do I deal with conflict and uh, sexual intimacy? All of these are important um, considerations as you're thinking about marriage rather sure. than stumbling in. Um, that we're prayerfully, thoughtfully looking at what what does this commitment really mean? Right, and not finding out, and and, and you know, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, and, you know, because the the answer to that is always, well, yes, you did. Yeah, you, yeah, you did. You yeah. did when you stood at the altar, and so I think um, being able to spend those hours on the front end is such an important part sure. of that commitment. And you know, I think a healthy, joyful marriage is is one of the most powerful witnesses that we can give in a divorce filled world. You know, Jared, some time ago I read, um, uh, I think it was in one of Alexander Strzok's books, he references referenced Jim Peterson and um, evangelism as a lifestyle. And he tells a story of this Brazilian man, Mario, with whom he had Bible studies for about four years before he came to Christ. And Mario was a, he was a Marxist intellectual, a political activist, and not really a, a likely candidate for the gospel or Christianity for that matter. Um, and several years after Mario's conversion, Mario asked Jim, do you know what it was, Jim, that really uh, the Lord used to 
to, to bring me to, to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is what he said. Do you, Mario said to Jim, you, you remember the first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together, and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. And as I sat there observing you, your wife, your children, and how you relate to each other, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiance? And when I realized the answer was never, never, yeah, I concluded I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. And how many people are, you know, just trapped in one burned out relationship after another, one painful, you know, issue after another. And so why don't we take a step back to Genesis sure, and look at some of these foundational um, truths that emerge from the text. Let me mention the first one, monogamous, monogamous marriage, one man, one woman for life. And every time that is deviated from, what do you have? Chaos. Yeah. Chaos and, and, and the undermining of a culture. And so um, that's, that's what we see in the first wedding ceremony. God brought Adam and Eve together. The second would be they're, it's heterosexual. Now, that's a lightning rod in our culture. Sure. But we make no apology for proclaiming that. Yeah, I mean, this, the whole idea of, of redefining and, and how incredibly successful it's been to, to redefine what marriage is, successful in the, in the secular sense... Um, when we think back over history, any student of history, any student of cultures, you know, marriage was a was something that was one of those mysteriously common across uh, so many different um, um, cultures and and societies, um, and all the way through history, and uh, was never defined as anything but a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you can think of exceptions to the rule of, um, of marriage being held in honor. Sure, it's a Romans one world out there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think of the licentiousness of, of the Roman elites, mm. for, for example, um, but they wouldn't have called what they were doing marriage. And so that to me is really the audacity of the modern movement is mm. it's not good enough for us to say we we reject marriage and we prefer something else, but rather to say no, we're going to call what we're doing marriage, and it's as good as, and um, that's never been the case before, and uh, and shouldn't be now. Yes, and um, you know something clear is uh, you read Genesis, the text of Genesis, it it is a man and a woman. Third would be fruitful. Mm-hmm. Uh, God uh, intended from that union that they be fruitful and multiply. So what does that say about children? Yeah, blessing from the Lord. Blessing from the Lord, and um, uh, that's a a tremendous statement to our culture. Uh, And I would mention something else, too, and that is that um, Eve complimented Adam. There's Mm -hmm. a complementarity between Adam and Eve that is by God's design. And this is uh, often where um, uh, really is a point of controversy in the evangelical world and the culture at large just... um, uh, dismisses it out of hand, but equal worth, you know, our, the the biblical position on the, the husband and wife is they are of equal worth, but a functional difference within the marriage, right? And that's something that I think our our culture is so pre-wired explosively to to uh, just to discount completely is that um, for there to be equality, um, you know, that everything has to be uniform mm. and 
part of the beauty, the nuanced beauty of what God created was he, he did create us different. And he, he must have done that with purpose. And of course, we, through New Testament eyes, know that part of that purpose was to reveal the beauty of the the, uh, the relationship between Christ and his church, and that, that marriage is a picture of that. And so it's, it's not that there's a simple equality that's brought about by uniformity. Mm-hmm. There's something more complex and beautiful that's going on, and it was invented in the mind of God. Um, and it's a way that we look at uh, these these beautiful pictures in in the people we see all around us, God's creation, that that help us to worship Him because of what He made. Yeah, and so in the culture at large, there's an intentional blending of the sexes that we call unisexism, mm. uh, which is contrary to what we see here. Right. You know, the, the, the need to celebrate biblical masculinity and biblical femininity, and that boys should be trained to be masculine and girls trained to be feminine. Yes. And uh, that, I think, is not just a matter of preference. That is rightly communicating the creative distinction between male and female. Right. And, and the confusion in the church, not just in marriage, but confusion of uh, male-female roles within the church. I think the Bible uh, establishes the equal worth in the sight of God, the functional difference in marriage and in the body of Christ. Absolutely. So we, we really pay a price in every area of life when that's inverted. There's yeah. such confusion, and we see that more than ever right now. So, okay, let's move on through uh, to another uh, principle, and that would be uh, this principle of separation. Marriage is a line of demarcation between everything we've known before right. and everything that will come in the future. And I can't think of anything more definitive than a man shall leave its father and mother. Yeah. And so the idea of there's a point where I'm leaving my parents and it's not dishonoring them. Yeah. And we've seen so many times in, um, in, the, in the pastoral context of marriage relationships that are just ruined mm. because there hasn't been a proper separation. And so while we wouldn't maybe uh, be legalistic about, you know, sure, you can live next door to your parents if you, if you want to, um, but, you know, there's no call to be legalistic about those types of things, but rather in the sense of the authority in the relationship and, um, and the, the continuity of the relationship, uh, and there's, there's nothing that, that can separate what God has put together and when a relationship with a parent or anyone else, for that matter, mm. uh, drives a wedge into uh, what God has has put together, that's where we see the real problem there. And so, yeah. um, unfortunately, in our culture, a lot of times we see that with um, you know interference that comes from right. an, an inappropriately continued relationship with yep. with the parent or or someone else. And um, so there needs to be a leaving. And talking about that, a leaving and then cleaving, permanence mm-hmm. would be the next principle, and that is, um, shall cleave to his wife. Uh, I often mention the illustration, uh, Charles Swindoll, a reference, and he w- went into a hardware store to buy some glue, and uh, he looked at all the glue options and read the instructions, and every one of the instructions said, the surface must be free from de- debris in order to bond. Yeah, And the idea here of... Uh, clearing off the deck, uh, dealing with issues in our life in order to bond with my 
wife in order to bond with my husband and um, to cleave. And this is a, a permanence that it's not mentioned, uh, meant to be um, ripped apart. Yeah, it, it is to to, uh, to be a bond uh, for life, and um, and we know divorce happens. Jesus said it was because of the hardness of your heart that provisions were made um, for those who were wronged, and through covenant shattering behavior like adultery and other um, other sins. Yeah, I think too it would be important for us to hold up that um, you know the last thing we intend to do by holding up the standard of marriage is to. Um, is to put down anyone who's been divorced. Mm, right. Um, we understand that there, there are uh, complex circumstances that, that lead to that. What we intend to do is to, is to hold up the standard of, of mm. marriage that's found in Scripture um, and that um, we would minister to those who um, have difficult experiences in their past mm-hmm. and, uh, and bring them into a place where marriage is held in honor and um, and to and for them to be able to seek the Lord and how He would move them forward in their life, and so uh, we want to make a, a distinction and draw a line between the idea that we somehow by uh, holding up the permanence of marriage that we're somehow beating up people who right. are divorced. That's not the intent at all. Right. Uh, I, I would just mention quickly that w- one of the things that we've been led to do in pastoral ministry and as a church is to ad- adopt a, a divorce r- resolution. Mm-hmm. Where we know that all marriages experience stress and strain, and our appeal as pastors is, if if your marriage is under duress, allow us to come alongside for prayer and counsel before papers are filed. Sometimes people say, "Well, that's private." No, it's very public when you, you know, when you're filing court documents to end your marriage. That's right. a very public matter. So before matters are taken up in the courthouse, we're we, our appeal in the body is uh, let's let's meet at the church house to um, to pray and seek the face of God concerning these things. Absolutely. And you you had a pastor stand there before you. Uh, when you made this commitment to the Lord, and so uh, how could you how could you sever that commitment um, without without seeking pastoral counsel? Yeah, absolutely. So l- let's move on to the next one: uh, unity. The two become one. Mm. Um, the two become one flesh. This sets marriage really apart from any other relationship. It's a one flesh union, and becoming one flesh as husband and wife really symbolizes and is sealed uh, by sexual union. Um, is a, um, you know, a, a beautiful picture of the covenant of marriage. There's a oneness that comes that got by God's design that seems to develop stronger and stronger over time. You know, Paul says, this is a mystery. <laughs> and I think it was Tim Keller who, who wrote in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, is, uh, you know, you come to the end of a frustrating day in your marriage and you think, this is a mystery, uh, <laughs> you know. And so uh, we all have dealt with that. But this is a tremendous sanctifying work of God, that we embrace the pain that comes with marriage, knowing that this is, this is part of God's design for me to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's... Yeah. It's about something much greater and fuller. And, and I, I really think this is where we see, when we think about how Satan attacks marriages, mm. this is where we think, we first think of how those attacks come, that that the unity is whittled away mm-hmm. at. 
yeah. over over time. And so whether that's a, a you know financial difficulty or a rebellious teenager uh, or you mm-hmm. know Thanksgiving dinner with the in-laws, right? What, whatever right. it is, the fox in the vineyard. It's you the know. foxes in the vineyard. The little things that whittle away, and there has to be this uh, this idea of a, a continued coming together to mm-hmm. say we're on the same team. There's mm-hmm. nothing that can make us not be on the same team. And um, when those when those commitments are in place and the unity right. is upheld, well, then the other things seem to come along. Uh, but when we run into marriages where you've lost that sense mm. of, wow, these these folks aren't on the same team right now. They are, they just don't know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do we how do we restore that sense of of trust and and uh, and and uh, unity is a is a big key part. Yeah, of that. and that includes communication. That includes attitude. That includes look, heaven and earth may blow away, but I'm not going anywhere. Yes, and 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 that. That is complemented by an important aspect of marriage, and that's our last principle here, and that is mm. intimacy. They were both naked and unashamed, yeah. uh, Genesis 2.25, that uh, intimacy is critical to the well-being of, uh, of marriage. It's impossible to have a good marriage in a bad sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. This is important, and it's emphasized throughout Scripture. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 said, it's good for a man not to touch a woman a euphemism for sexual immorality. And he says, the the wife, your body's not your own. You're the husband, your body's not your own. And the idea is um, in Christ serving one another in the context of marital intimacy. This is a beautiful thing, an important thing. Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say how often that needs to happen, but it needs to happen regularly. That's right. the emphasis. Right. And I, I think of Martin Luther um, who said, that twice a week was ample to keep the tempter away. <laughs> I don't know if Catherine was up to it, but you know the idea here is you're serving one another. That's part of what it means to be husband and wife, right? And uh, to freely give and serve uh, one another. And I would say usually that one of the uh, that this is one of the most important ways wives can minister to the husbands. Mm-hmm. Often, it, often it, it, it's a bit differently, uh, d- different with a wife, but nevertheless, there should be um, a recognition that I'm not my own and I'm giving and I'm serving um, that's reciprocal and we're trying to outgive one another and outdo one another. Right. Um, and so that, that's an important part of, um, of, of growing in oneness in marriage. To neglect that is, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think too that the the physical intimacy part we you know oftentimes we we run right to um, you know the sexual relationship there and um, and I but I think there's so much uh, that also goes along with that um, one of the things that we were introduced Nell and I were introduced to um, in the preparation time for our marriage was um, uh, something that was called couch time and that's not laying there together watching a movie that <laughs> that's that's taking the time to be intimate together every day in whatever way that you're you're able to do that and so everything else has to go away um and that there's some trickle down there that goes to you know the children understand they can't interrupt this time um you know all 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 sorts of other little rules that come into play, but what what that allows for is this this intimate connecting mm-hmm. that 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 really fuels the relationship. Yeah. It fuels that unity. That it it 
builds the friendship yeah. in the marriage. Um, and it does communicate to, mm. for instance, our children know, hey, this relationship comes before. Yeah, it has it's priority. priority. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so um, that can be a really important thing too. And so, again, not to be legalistic that it would, you know, have to happen on a certain schedule and all those types of things, but that every day there's an attempt made for yeah. us to to commune together in a special way. Yes. Um, and that all the other distractions of the day are put in their proper place, which is secondary. Yeah. To to this relationship between the husband and wife, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an effort that's made by both parties that I think is really helpful. Well, this is the beauty of the gospel and that, that God's grace comes to us in, in relationship with Jesus Christ who gives new beginnings. This is, this is at the heart of that relationship, a marriage based at the foot of the cross puts everyone on level ground. Mm. So there's always hope that a marriage needs to be oiled regularly by the grace that, that is found in Christ yes. that brings forgiveness and hope and truth. And so the true, let's be a church that honors marriage and remember our savior's love for us as we do. That's what it's about communicating Christ's relationship to us and his church and to be washed with the water of his word. Mm-hmm. Thanks Jared for your thoughts as we um, want to offer we, we hope and pray helpful things uh, to build up the church and to be a witness to others. Yes. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministries or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. If you've done that already, thanks. And if you found the podcast interesting and helpful, recommend us to a friend or family member that you think would enjoy it. And once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.